Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Office 365 focused IT security professionals. Each episode, we talk about a specific topic in the space. This week, it's episode one of season three. We're going to have a chat around Azure multi-factor authentication, a core security feature for securing your identities in Azure Active Directory. Hey, Alan, how are you doing? Hey, Sam, I'm not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, no, not too bad. It's it's been a it's been a while since we recorded last. Um, a planned break this time, uh, but we've had the um, the holiday season in between. Um, how was your what did you what did you do with your time off from the podcast? Uh, mainly just uh, relaxing. Uh, had some time off work, and uh, obviously had the the holiday, so spend time with the kids and stuff. So and family. What about you? Good. Uh, yeah, I just uh, very much, uh, very much the same. Um, and I think it's been good to take a a reset um, and just to you know um, stand back and think about you know uh, what sort of content we want to cover with with the podcast and and going forward. Um, Alan, do you want to explain around uh, what our plans are for season three um, episode counts and things like that? Yes, sure. So we've. We've kind of thought about doing 21 episodes, I think it is. Um, kind of similar to the last season, season two. Um, uh, we're planning to do every week again, every Friday at 7 a.m. UK time or UTC, yeah, UK time. Um, so, yeah, we're going to start with that. And we've got loads of topics kind of lined up already or planned with the option for them to move around depending on what new stuff comes out or what topics hot at the time of us uh, podcasting. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. Yeah. And I, uh, I, it, it has been, it has been, you know, kind of strange not having, you know, the, the weekly upload, you know, schedule to, you know, keep us, you know, on track, if that makes sense. I have I've felt a bit lost at some points, <laughs> you know, uh, less pressure sometimes, but um but no, yeah, it's it's good to be back um, podcasting and talking. And, you know, we can see from, you know, the listens and support that we've had, um, even since we um, haven't been uploading, you know, our stats have, uh, have dropped down, but we can still see that lots of lots of people are listening um, still and giving us great feedback. So that has been a massive, pos- you know, positive boost for us, because um, that really shows that, you know, um, even if we're not posting, people are uh, still being engaged by the content. So as, as uh, you know, for as long as um, you're all listening, we'll, uh, we'll continue to uh, create content for you. Okay, so um, this, this week is um, Azure multi-factor authentication. Um, I'm going to sort of uh, run with it with um, Alan asking me um, questions around it. Um, Alan has also has many years of experience with um, deploying um, MFA um, uh, solutions, so um, his knowledge is also going to be really valuable. So I assume I'll have to tag in him for for some of the parts of the conversation. But we'll see. We'll see how we go. Yep. Okay. So let's start our uh, our questions then. So uh, at a high level and sort of an, an overview, what is multi-factor authentication MFA? And why is it important to sort of today's world? Okay, so um, if if people aren't aware around multi-factor, and and I would say 
multi-factor in multiple different scenarios of people's lives is quite ubiquitous you know um uh in in 2023 you know um it's it's effectively a second uh challenge um of a uh of an item of knowledge um that that you can request from a user to ensure that they are you know currently the correct user that's attempting to log into a system i've butchered that explanation a little bit but i'll i'll take you through an actual scenario so for instance if you imagine uh, traditionally you might just have say a username and a password for um to get access into a system um you know let's say your password was compromised then anybody with your password would then be able to log in as you um so mfa um introduces um challenges um uh, you know on on top of that so effectively what's what they're looking for is something um extra on top of you know uh, on top of your password so something that usually something that you have or something that you are so something that you have might be like a trusted device um like a phone or some sort of hardware key um that you you may be given or something that you potentially are like um, biometrics like uh, a fingerprint or some sort of face scan and what that's going to do is that's going to have a second challenge um against that that login attempt which is going to give a, an extra layer of uh, of protection um and talking about you know how effective that is i think it's i think it's good to understand you know how how sometimes you know um weak the password um mechanism really can be you know we have we have um we have users you know uh, reusing their passwords recycling their passwords on multiple um uh you know uh, websites and applications you know that's password fatigue you know people have many different passwords you know in their personal and in their corporate lives so you know the the chances of them reusing their passwords or making very similar passwords is you know is, is reasonable for a human right you know um unless they're using say something like a password manager um so what then invariably can happen is is your password could get um could get leaked it could get dumped um and um and and then once you know your password and username uh, username and password uh, combination is known um then uh, you know adversaries can attempt to log into to to your accounts with those details um so so what what's um multi-factor authentication does is it it adds you, you know you, you can't you can't just have your password you know anymore you also have to have you know either something that you have or something that you are which usually comes through something that you have um so that might be a um that might be an SMS notification to your phone. Um, you might have an authenticator app installed and it will send you a notification that you've got to click on or it will ask for a, um, a code from you in, in order to, uh, to log in. Um, is it effective? Um, I, 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 in, in my experience and in terms of uh, best practice, it's, it's highly effective in terms of um, uh, protecting against um, you know, abused and, and misused um, accounts. Alan, have you seen that in practice as well? You know how effective MFA can be. Yeah, I think three three years ago. In fact, it was the last in Persic Nights of twenty nineteen. The stance from Microsoft's view of it was um, enabling MFA stops ninety nine point nine percent of password cracking attempts against Azure because you know, one, it's okay someone having the password, but then they can't get any further. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you need that. You've got that real-time challenge there, haven't you? Which is, you know, um, very hard to then manipulate. You know, it still can be manipulated, usually through, you know, um, social engineering more than anything. Um, but in, in order to in order to, to get access to those accounts is a lot more complex. Um, I think it's worth um, just quickly talking about um, specifically. So there's many different MFA um, solutions, products um, that are tied to many different vendors. So we're obviously going to just talk about um, Azure, um, Azure um, MFA, um, Azure AD MFA, I should say. Um, so what I'll talk about is I'll just talk about some of the available verification me uh, mechanisms that are available uh, in Azure AD MFA. Um, so you've got the Microsoft Authenticator app. Um, you may already have that application um, uh, on your phone. Um, and effectively, what that's that first-party app is going to give you a really good user experience because you can do like things like um, notifications and um, and and really make that user experience more more seamline. Uh, streamline um windows hello so in terms of you know um uh, a biometric um uh, access or pin access um in in, in as well through a uh, that's usually a uh, a corporate or enrolled device is that correct alan for uh, windows hello it is but i guess from a personal perspective if you've got a device with your win your, your personal microsoft account you can still enable windows hello yeah that's log true on, so yeah yeah, definitely in the personal space as well. Yeah, great, great shout. Um, FIDO2 security keys. Um, so um, FIDO2 is a is a uh, um, much uh, newer um, security um, key uh, sort of standard. There's many different vendors that um, create those those keys. Um, so you can also use FIDO2 um, as that as well. Um, there, there are other hardware tokens and software tokens that are um, supported as well. Um, you've then got SMS. Um, so you can get, you know, an SMS or a text message um, to your phone. So that's always great for, as a backup as well. Um, and voice call as well. Um, so you can, you can um, have a voice call sent to you um, with a code to replay. Um, and I think it's also just worth mentioning that you can, it is possible to have multiple verification methods. So you could have the Microsoft Authenticator app, and then you could have SMS enabled as well. And what that would then mean is if you say lost, let's say that you lost your phone and you had to order a new SIM card and a new phone, um, you could then use the voice, uh, the, the SMS um, once you've got access to your new device um, to then get um, uh, that through. And that's also a good backup for any, you know, physical security keys um, that you that you may um, have as well. Um, so uh, I think that's probably it is a high level, Alan. Is there anything else that you want to want to talk about um, in terms of just high level for MFA and um uh, I would the only thing I'd say in sort of the real world scenarios, things like that. If we if we take a step back from corporate location, you know, corporate sort of environments, things like that. Um, it, from a view, well, from a view to a users, you may feel like it's a new thing that they've got to try and do now. So it's a there is some um, resistance because it's extra things they got to do. But I guess in the today's world, you've got to think about. Um, 
especially in the UK, I don't know about, um, you know, other locations that, you know, even when we're doing a payment now online, you know, before I just typed in your stuff, you know, your details, your card number, I think click submit, bang, you're paid. Um, now you have to do a, you know, verification and that might be a call, a text, or it might be the, the banking app bringing a push notification saying, Hey, you're spending 10 pounds with Amazon or, you know, whoever. And, you know, this is you sort of thing. So it's, it's coming into people's lives. It may be that um, some of the users don't realize it, that it is multi-factor. I mean, I'm sure that um, I'm thinking of um, quite a few places now say, right. Okay. Now we need to verify your phone number. We're going to send you a code when you do a password reset, things like that, that's multi-factor. Yeah. You just don't sort of realize it in some sense. Yeah. And um, I think, w- would you would you now say that um, it's more likely now that because of these other like more personal, let's say these personal, um, you know, um, uh, these personal systems that you might use, like say your, your, your personal, you know, bank account, because they are now using these types of technologies to, you know, to, to challenge users in their day-to-day lives, that it's becoming easier in a corporate setting for people to understand and adopt MFA because they're using it everywhere, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember sort of six, seven years ago when you had the one-time hardware tokens to log into your remote access yeah. where I used to work. So I think it was, you know, it's great. It was a pain in the backside because they were, um, it was difficult, you know, there was nothing on your phone or anything like that. You had to have this device. Can you remember, I don't know if you ever had it, Sam, but um, on um, World of Warcraft, when you got the one-time password code, make sure your account didn't get yeah, exactly, hijacked, yeah. Yeah. you know? And then, yeah. I mean, that was that was very brutal because if you lost it, you had to go through loads of hoops to get your account back. Yeah, exactly. Not that I've ever been through that, but, <laughs> but you know, th- yeah. it's been around for some time, but it's been a pain in the, in the you know, in the backside been a you know there has been a lot of resistance but because of like today's the you know the 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 cyber risk out there the you know what's happening you know everyone's adopting it now so i think adopting it within the organization i think most people would feel like they would already be should be doing it yeah kind of thing if people get on board it's it's a the known thing now and the other thing i was going to just quickly talk about was like with microsoft um you can also potentially start to remove that password on yeah. the logins with the some of these technologies like Fido Two Keys and the uh, the Authenticator app, where you know the user signs in and then it goes right. Let's do an MFA prompt. I'm going to ask you, you know, this number to type in, kind of thing, and then that signs you in. So actually, your password can never be used. Yeah, should well. we just so, yeah? Let's let's should we just have a quick talk about passwordless? Because I know it's. Because it is still multi-factor, right? And I think it's 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 a newer sort of shift into um, different thinking around, you know, effectively just removing the password, right? Because because that 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 real time challenge is is so effective, right? That it should actually be prioritized, you know, over a password, right? You know, so uh, are you seeing are you seeing resistance to that to that change? You know. Um, because I know that you're a big, you know, fan of passwordless, well, you know, uh, sign in. But you know, are, well, are you seeing challenge? Is that the new thing to overcome? Well, the fact is, I don't actually know my corporate password anymore because <laughs> I don't actually type it in. 
Yeah. Okay. I have to actually reset it every time I actually need it. That's the crazy thing with, you know, my, my, my you know, I windows hello into my corporate device. I single sign into everything. Yeah. Um, and when I do need to sign in, I get a passwordless thing. So uh, I'm, yeah, we do see some resistance, resistance to it because it's un it's an unknown and yeah, unless you're sort of moving to password technologies for your day-to-day, like your, your laptop, you're using windows hello um, and to sign into other applications, then it's going to be difficult, especially when you're sort of on-premise where you may have, you may not have single sign into those on-premise applications or even into SaaS applications that can't do SAML. Yeah. You know, it might be that it can, you know, it's replicating your password into there or it comes back to your Active Directory to do that sign in. But um, yeah, so there is resistance because of technology, you know, maybe not necessarily around um, resistance to moving to it. It's more around the other, you know, the legacy things that might be holding it back to go full passwordless and maybe not having two experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because I've seen challenges where, you know, um, um, if you have, if you let's say you have two corporate passwords, right? Let's say you had a corporate password for your laptop and then something else for, you know, some sort of, you know, or even multiple for different online systems and things like that. I see real, like, uh, user experience challenges there where, you know, um, users are, uh, you know, generally required to remember like multiple passwords and then to rotate those passwords all at their own different frequencies right and keep track of you know keep track of that as well and that is where you know weak password usage like really comes in at that point and then it's really interesting that you say like um and and i get this as well because i'm i'm not fully passwordless but you know um from your perspective you know um then having to you know, you go fully, you've got this fully password experience. Um, but then when you do require it, you have to reset your password every single time because you're, you can't remember it, you know, and, and all of these different things. So it's definitely like a weird, because I think we've got windows hello on a lot of devices now, you know, cause even, you know, forget about biometrics, just a pin on a device. Yeah. Right. Like, let's say you log into your laptop with, you know, a six digit pin or, a, you know, a, a, you know, six, digit, you know, passcode. Um, it can be a long time, right. You know, between utilizing those, those passwords, if you're, you know, thing. So it is, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Um, and, and I, I posed the original question to you about friction is because, you know, I, I'm, I, I can still talk to people around, you know, um, you know, um, talking to them about uh, best practice in terms of never allowing passwords to expire, you know, and sometimes it's like, Oh, I don't, you know, um, I'm not really ready for that yet. So I feel like past taking the password away is like potentially one <laughs> bridge too far, isn't it? Right. You know? And um, so, yeah, it's just interesting to get your, your take on that. I mean, it's bearing in mind, you know, resetting a password, I can do it myself using the self-service password reset. So it's not, you know, there's no extra, capability that, that you know the business has to take on yeah i don't have to call the help desk to get it reset and everything it, i can do it myself yeah exactly yeah um and which is right on a post-it note and stick it to your monitor Al. you know that's the uh, right you wouldn't have to worry yeah. about that <laughs> <laughs> sorry i couldn't help myself <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. So, so going on, how so? How do we set up this MFA? How do we set up a sure AD multi-factor authentication? Is it easy? Um, I I would you know from 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 my experience, um, there's the um, Azure um, Active Directory has got so uh, such a simplistic um, configuration uh, process for MFA. I would say it is you know from a technology perspective i'm going to label it as you know air quotes easy right um especially you know if you if you go uh, super basic enable security defaults and just have mfa like on right you know that i think that's the simplest you know onboarding um simplest onboarding you know uh, journey for a, for for the organization right um but then we do have, and we'll we'll, t- we'll talk about um, security defaults and um, other technologies such as conditional access in a bit more depth um, later on. Um, but if you if you want to have granular, I think the complexity then comes in. I don't know if complexity is the right word. You might have a better word for it, Alan. But the complexity then can creep in when you're trying to understand um, to trying to layer in more complex um uh, policies um that can you know for instance like you might have a policy which says people don't need to mfa if they're on you know at a corporate location or you know in in the office and, and different things like that when you start to get to and we'll talk about that in a bit more depth but it's it's when you get to those types of you know um um integrations that's when it starts to become more complex would you would you agree with that um sentiment yeah definitely that it's easy to set up it's then um securing certain areas in different ways like you said but also um choosing when someone gets prompted to improve the user experience of being prompted because you don't want it to be mfa fatigue where possible some some areas of your business may require it all the time and that makes absolute sense but there are times when you're thinking well actually we trust the device we trust the location and things like that you know the the device isn't risky if you've got other technologies giving you those signals it's compliant um so why you know why do i need to do an mfa prompt sort of thing so yeah definitely 100 percent Okay, so how easy is it then? So, you know, setting it up in Azure AD, it's relatively easy. How easy is it for the user to set up then? You know, is it they have to contact the help desk to get it all set up, get a, you know, a QR code or a you know something to, to set it up? Okay, so from a from an uh, initiating the onboarding process, um, the the organization can can trigger that from from their side um you know they could put a policy in place to you know um uh, require people to enroll for mfa and let's say when you access um s- some sort of um, application uh you 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 would then be prompted to 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 on you know to to register um for mfa um i, I i'm gonna I'm going to say that it's a bit of a cop-out, but I'm going to say it depends in terms of user complexity on onboarding. 
right? Because, you know, there are a variety of, you know, different users that are out there and their, you know, um, their skill level with technologies, technology is varied. Um, and that is okay because, you know, that is not part of their, you know, um, that, 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 that is not expected of them. So I would say that um, you, you do definitely need to have in the back of your mind that you may need to help users through that process. Um, and um, we'll talk about it in a little bit more in, in depth um, in the when we talk about like what user data is stored and things like that. Um, but especially when, you know, um, maybe some of your users, you know, don't have you know, mobile phones or, you know, um, corporate devices and, and different th- uh, things like that. Um, so, so there may be, a, there may be times where you have to have, you know, different, um, onboarding strategies for different types of people. You might have to say, you know, um, ask everybody to register for MFA. And if they, you know, they're happy with putting it on their personal device and, you know, um, adding Microsoft authenticator and using that. Um, but other people may require you to provide a, hardware you know key to you know um so that they can actually um they can actually use it so the onboarding process i mean you know uh, downloading the application you know and the the um i think microsoft have done a, a good job with the the onboarding screens you know uh, teach telling people what they need to do in, in what step i mean Users might just click next, 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 which can sometimes be a bit challenging. Um, but um, especially because we have different types of Microsoft accounts, right? You know, that can go into Authenticator and also, you know, third-party accounts that can go in there as well. So, um, but but generally, you know, it is self-serve. You know, um, there is a set of screens that you go through and then Microsoft will then um, challenge you um, to test that it's actually working correctly. And then at that point, they'll tell you, yep, you're all good, um, and then move on. Um, and then it can also then prompt you for, say, a second, you know, um, second um, uh, challenge. So you might say, you know, I, I would like users to have, um, I would like users to have, um, you know, the, the Authenticator app as their primary, and then as their secondary, I would like them to do an SMS, you know, so that they can always get into their account themselves, right? Because... You know, if they if they don't have if they just do Microsoft the Microsoft Authenticator app, if they lose their device, then they've got to come back to you to get you to re-register, right? At that point, so, but there's there's different ways to approach that situation. You know, some other people might be like, well, you know, um, we'll get you registered for MFA, and then if you lose your device or whatever, then you're going to have to contact a help desk to get yourself reset, like as a you know uh, a a security a security mechanism um inside of that um what would you say about onboarding alan any challenges that you've had um around that it's generally around the user adoption and like you said it's the personal device use the use of your own device um because there can be like you said challenges that people may not have mobile phones it might be that they do have a mobile phone but it's not smart that's true we've i've seen that still today that some people don't want an you know an android and ios device they want just a a phone and that's absolutely fine you know so there's change that but then uh, i've seen in some organizations that actually with the, the the deals they can get and things like that that getting a cheap smartphone is probably cheaper than buying a hardware token yeah that's true 
Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, and then you know, there's a there's a corporate number then to access, you know, to contact that person yeah. as well. So there's there's some scenarios around that, and it is relatively simple. I I feel as well. I think Microsoft done a good job. Microsoft has a load of um, campaign documentation that you can pass out to your users to get them geared up for it and things like that. Um, users can register before MFA is enabled as well. So you don't have to be on the day, you know, zero day, everyone has to sign up and everyone's locked out. There are reports as well that tell you who has signed up and who hasn't. So you can see what, you know, where you are on that journey. Um, and I guess the only complexities might be if you're starting to use things like the FIDO2 keys, things like that, because it is a little bit different. It's Again, it's not too difficult, um, but there's extra steps there. And it's probably the same for, you know, the hardware tokens, things like that. Um but yeah, the the one main thing I'd say as well is that it really the the organization can't set it up for the user. It is purely self service. You have to sign in to actually do do it. Yep. So it's there is some. I think in the past, I don't know if it's still there now. You could sort of provide some like the numbers, maybe some email addresses from a from the API kind of thing to sort of pre-populate some things. So if they got a corporate number. Then you can sort of pre-populate some of it, I think. I don't know if that's still there now, because I think most people use the Microsoft Authenticator app now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. And um, so onboarding, we're going to say easy to moderate complexity, yeah. right? Um, and, and you know, um, and orchestrating that sort of rollout should be, you know, bread and butter to, to the organization, really, with other things that have, have got to go on. Um, and I think in terms of a user experience of actually using it, um, uh, from, from my perspective, um, with, the, with correct configuration, um, MFA can be a, and we will talk about, um, a little bit more of effective configuration of it. Um, MFA can be, you know, um, unobtrusive you know, um, and it can, we can, I sp- but I suppose it's all tied to your session life, life cycle anyway, isn't it? Right. So, you know, if you're getting MFA'd constantly, you, you could also be getting password prompted constant, constantly as well. Right. So there are, there's, there's, there's also multiple things um, that are potentially going on there. But what we're talking about is, is, you know, somebody logs in, you know, fresh, fresh session, and they get prompted, you know, to first provide their password, and then they will need, you know, um, some other device in order to to to, to complete that login. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're kind of talking about the the experience of the users, if um, you've got a corporate device with Windows Hello set up, um, because it's using the TPM, it in effect's got a certificate to show to you know, prove it's you. With you signing into that device using Windows Hello, be it biometrics or the PIN, um, that kind of acts as your two-factor onto the device. So then when you're in sessions, when you're going to you know, office and things like that, and say you're not in the corporate location, you're at a coffee, you know, coffee shop and things like that, um, and you go to sign in, if you didn't have Windows Hello, then you'd be prompted. But because Windows Hello is, is in the background, you've already, in effect, authenticated, when you go to the browser and you go to authentic, you, know, you go, you put your password in if you're not using passwordless at that point or you know single sign in. Um, 
it will go back to the device, say, right, I need two factor. And you go, oh, you've got winners, hello. You've signed in as it, so you're like authenticated at that point. Can I have like the token to prove that it's you? Yes, there you go. So that in fact, you know, that prompt is then hidden, automatically done for you because it knows that you've signed in because it's a trusted device, something you, you, know, you own, something you have. And then you've typed in a pin in to log in. That's not your password. So it's something you know. Yeah, exactly. So, so what you're what you're also saying is is that like Windows Hello can even you know reduce the number of MFA prompts you know as 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 you, as you go through. So, so yeah. So once you layer on these different types of technologies, they can all work you know together to provide a better user experience. Yeah, I mean you've seen that haven't you with with us when you had a your TPM went a bit funny didn't it yeah exactly yeah it's uh, horrible you had a firmware horrible. update no, no, you? Don't know. you yeah, had don't, prompts it all the time <laughs> don't lose tbm yeah it's 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 yeah yeah that's that's a great shout out to be so <laughs> me. i should have i should have actually brought that up as, as an example but okay yeah no that's great and i think just talking about user experience for user as well um so for instance using the um authenticator app they can get a push notification um with a with a a, a prompt inside of it um which can be um super simple in terms of in you know instead of having to write like a, a passcode or a, some sort of pin um they can just press accept yes that's me um and that that system is is really effective um as well yeah i think in february they're bringing in at the end of february or beginning of february i can't remember um they're bringing in that they're gonna everyone's gonna have to put in the number bit to prove that you're not just pressing it right. to get past it and, and accidentally letting someone in but that's so the, that's the number challenge that is provided to you right so you get given a number and you put it in on the app is that correct yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah so but not you don't put it in on the browser right the browser gives it to you you know that that login tells you it yes yeah, and, and then, then you've, you've got, got to, to type provide it in. in yeah exactly yeah to prove you're in front of the the actual screen yeah 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 exactly okay okay so how is your user data stored and used you know if you're using a personal device um and you're using a personal number or uh, you would probably want to use your email address but your personal phone number to do your mfa how is that stored or used yeah so this is where um and i don't want to dwell on this uh point too much but i think it's worth having in the back of you know uh, people's minds especially if you are in a very privacy focused um territory i think is is probably um worth um shouting out about um and and microsoft have some really good documentation in, in terms of how to um to, to show what um data is being captured um because and this does sort of tie into and you could probably do a whole episode on you know the like the sign-in process, it might be a bit boring, but like the sign-in process and what logs are produced and things like that, because it does overlap a little bit here. Um, but the reason why I put this in here is because, you know, you could be providing um, more, more sensitive personal information about, you know, your employees, for instance, um, inside of, you know, uh, into Azure AD, right? You know, you could be taking... You know, because um, you know, um, you might capture somebody's personal mobile phone 
number or maybe a relative's you know pers- a personal mobile number as maybe an emergency contact in terms of hr for your business but now we're talking about potentially storing um um app identifiers device identifiers um uh um uh, ip addresses i mean that's login anyway but ip addresses and 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 other parts of personal information people's phone numbers I suppose you could theoretically do your personal email address, couldn't you? I mean, you would, yeah, you, you could but do the self service password reset. You, you would, would yeah. yeah. So you so so there's many different things that could go in there. Um, so 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 Microsoft have some really good documentation. I'm not going to go through it all now, um, but I think it's worth just understanding that those questions could be asked in terms of you know uh, your head of. Yeah, somebody might come to you and ask you about how that data is stored and how long it's stored for um, and, and things like that. So and who has access? Who has access to it? Who can see it? You know, and what's the governance around access to, to that information? Um, because, you know, traditionally that data might be stored in a HR system only available to, you know, um, to core, you know, HR employees that require that information. Um, but now theoretically... You know, those phone numbers, you know, um, you can see them in Azure AD, right? You know, and you can see, you know, what's, you know, multi-factor, um, other multi-factor, you know, um, mechanisms are being used. So it's just something to bear in mind that you are, you are, you know, you are going to be capture, potentially capturing. But that is also, you know, only in the scenario of if they're using their personal devices, right? You know, if you don't, you know, if you've got, corporate devices that you you gift out you know not gift out to you know that everybody uses and you know or you've got a fido2 key instead then you know you could negate some of those potential challenges and headaches so that even even though the microsoft authenticator app and sms and phone call seem like really easy to adopt from a business perspective like they could be free um, and or easy um users privacy and their data is something that really needs to be thought about uh maybe not when you're small well you should anyway when you're small but maybe that's you know um overlooked when you're a smaller organization but when you get to a large-scale organization um that's when those types of questions and conversations may need to be had yeah i think the authenticator app i don't think you get you know we'd get too much information into azure ad um it's more probably the sign-in information that you're talking about, which w- w- would be captured anyway about, you know, what IP address you've come from to prove. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, to challenge where you're coming from and things like that. Yeah. So it is um, all the documentation is mixed in with sign-in logs, you know, and, and, and what extra information that is actually going into those, you know, uh, sign-in, uh, that sign-in information. Okay. So going on to the next question. How is MFA used in conjunction with conditional access and identity protection? Okay, so so um, conditional access um, can be used um, to require um, multi-factor authentication for certain types of uh, logins and, and scenarios. Um, I won't go into them in depth, but I've got a few that a few key conditional access policies that you know could be uh, deployed. So we've got things like you know require MFA for guest users, 
uh, for instance, why uh, require MFA for administrators? Um, you know, maybe maybe to start off with, um, you you want to you know try out MFA for your administrators because that's probably a good idea, I would think, to have MFA on your your admin uh, accounts. Uh, but maybe you want to pilot it with administrators. I mean, you could pilot it in different ways, but you know, um, basic sort of you know um, out of the box um, configurations. Um, requiring MF uh, multi-factor authentication for Intune device enrollments, you know, so as somebody's, you know, enrolling onto a new device, that's quite a key, you know, um, life cycle and, you know, the, the provisioning of that device, you may require it, um, every single time, you know, maybe even if you are on site in the office and, and things like that, you might still want, uh, uh, that in place. Um, and then, so a, a great one is to require MFA for locations that are, are not considered safe. So, so what? Um, let's say, let's say you're a business that only has employees in the UK. Just to make it really, really simple, um, if you see sign and activity and attempts, you know, in different um, countries, um, you could be tempted to completely block sign in from those countries um, because you could say, you know. Um, Oh, my my users never go to Wales. No, that's just stupid because that's part of the UK. Um, <laughs> uh, I was thinking England. Uh, I, I do know the difference between uh, the UK and <laughs> England, Wales, and Scotland. Um, you know, my my no nobody should be accessing uh, logging in from France. You know, nothing wrong with France. Just you know, the closest uh, whatever another country. Um, you know, and you could say right, I don't want anybody to log in from France. Um, but then you know, it might be that you know um some of your employees are going out to a customer site in, in france and then they can't log in at all and then you've got to make a uh, a hasty change um so what you could say is you could say okay well for certain locations or maybe all locations um allow people to sign in um, but challenge them with a, an mfa um uh, an mfa prompt and this is you know the name sort of says on the tim this is where conditional access you know really does excel you know, um, being able to create these, I'm not going to say complex, it's not complex, but to be able to model, uh, model these more uh, complex interactions inside of your business and to provide a better user experience when they happen, right? You know, because these, these types of policies that are put in aren't a complete catch-all are they that they can just be you know for all organizations it's just they're all going to work they are going to be custom for each um organization is is it worth actually mentioning what conditional access is because we kind of talk about how we we sort of do mfa in different sort of scenarios we've not really talked about briefly sort of what conditional access is would you like to give us a bit quick primer on conditional access? Yeah. I mean, it could be its own episode, so... <laughs> well, yeah, it could. But um, <laughs> conditional access is, in effect, when when you sign in to an application that is you know, Office 365, anything like that, or any SaaS application integrated, um, it's like the... It's, the, it's in, in effect, the gate. It makes you put in their decisions about what you can access from where kind of thing. And, you know, it, it you know, includes signals like... Um, you know, the device compliance, what device you're on, who the user is, um, where they're coming from and things like that, as sort of Sam mentioned. So it's kind of choosing you're able to sort of dynamically, not to say dynamically, but you can customize where and when people can sign in and what sort of prompts they get. 
So sort of talking outside of MFA, you know, you could say that the HR system that you that is integrated with Azure AD can only be accessed from a managed device. They can't access from a personal device and they can only access it when it's in the office IP. Kind of what you're saying, Sam, about location. You know, we're saying HR can only be accessed when you're on the corporate network. Yeah. But, you know, off Outlook can be accessed when you're you know, roaming on your phone, yeah. things like that. No, so yeah, so that, so conditional access sort of works hand in hand with MFA, right? To, to, to help you to augment those experiences and to put some, you know, um, sensible best practice in, in terms of, you know, the risk appetite of your, of your business, right? You know, because you get, you, you can blur these lines of, you know, ap- absolute, you know, dominance of like, no, we don't want anything, you know, to, okay, well, that seems like, you know, it, it could be a risky activity. I'm going to, you know, a prompt for MFA at, at that time. And that brings me on nicely. Great segue um, to risky mm-hmm. sign-in attempts. Um, so one great um, paired with um, identity protection, um, identity, I think the best way to describe it is, identity protection driving the signals for conditional access is that the right way of saying it alan that yeah, yeah the risky signings and risky use of it yeah so so identity protection is there giving you your risky sign-ins and, and uh, sign-in attempts and your risky users um then you can say things like you know if i feel if identity protection is kicked in and this is we'll talk about licensing in a minute but you have to be licensed um, for it um if identity protection kicks in and says hey you know, Alan's signing an attempt from somewhere um, looks risky. Um, then you could say at that time, um, challenge Alan for an MFA um, just to make sure it definitely is Alan. Because sometimes we get false positives through that system, you know, because, you know, you, you might not want to completely block all sign-in attempts from risky users because, you know, there could be false positives in there. So, you know... Um, so, so check check those uh, risky sign-ins. You know, have that system working there, detecting them, um, but then also augment that with MFA um, afterwards. Yeah. So, just probably adding on to that is that you know the the signing signals we get is that you know a user is at low, medium, or high risk. So, or none, of course, at that point. But um, it might be, like you said, Sam, that when a user is at a medium risk, you may ask for more MFA prompts. You know, we might have a device that's managed um, in the right location, maybe, um, but you might want to check, still want to check MFA because, you know, if that device is potentially compromised, even on like the corporate network, I mean, you should have technologies protecting that, but, you know, it's, 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 potent, you know, it's always there. Um, then you can force a prompt there. Um, the other thing is that, you know, there's two signals. There's risky sign-in. So as you said, Sam, as they're signing in, if they're coming from a risky IP or they're doing, you know, impossible travel, you know, et cetera, um, then it becomes in. But you've got a user sign-in, user risk. And that's normally based on the user's credentials. So if you've got password hash sync set up, um, then when there's been a breach in, you know, another product out there um, and Microsoft's able to grab, you know, username passwords, they hash them and then they try to match them against your corporate accounts so that if it sees there's a match, 
then it knows that it's you know it's out on the dark web it's it's been compromised and it gives them a risky you know a high high risk high risky user high risk user and with conditional access you can say well if i see a high risk user then i'll force them to change their password yeah and you can say that they can only change their password on premise yeah you you can do that obviously there could be some friction if your you know, your workforce is you know hybrid remote um but when they change their password, then their risk level gets reset because Microsoft knows that they've reset yeah. their password. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So those more. So I think it's the the big sort of you know my the the reason why I wanted to talk about those two things is that if you are struggling with MFA and the number of prompts and how it prompts and you know it getting in the way and and different things, um, there are ways to tune that so it is more um it is a better user experience but tuning it not from the user's side but actually from the organization's side so i think it was definitely worth talking about those more advanced topics yeah definitely okay uh, the question that everyone loves as we always go how is it licensed how much have we got how much does it cost maybe maybe not <laughs> okay so is it right to say it's technically available for everyone I think that's probably uh, uh, the kind of the correct way. Nah, I can't. I can't. I'll, I'll walk through it. Um, so yeah. So so there is there is a free element which is enabled by security defaults, um, but that will effectively, if you enable security defaults, correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, it will just challenge MFA for everybody all the time. Is that correct to say? For every new session, for yeah. Doesn't matter session. where you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, because it doesn't include conditional access. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and for normal users in free mode, you can only use the mobile app um, as a second factor as well. So, so that's giving that's also restricting down in terms of you know um, how you interact with the product and how you can and 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 these more advanced you know uh, checks and things like that. You you don't have access to that. What is kind of nice though um, is that. Um, for um, for global administrators in in free mode, um, they also allow you to use a phone call, SMS, um, and um, allows admin control over the, the, those verification me uh, methods as well. So that's really so you you are getting, and I I assume that's for break glass. Right, Alan, you know, being able to definitely get back into those admin accounts as well, right? You know, with those phone calls and SMS. Um, yeah, because because you don't have conditional access, you can't really exclude MFA. So, yeah, it's adding extra factors so that you can still get back in. Yeah. Um, and then there's a base Office 365, which is the same. So base Office 365 is going to be in what the, the lower not like business premium tiers, right? It'll be in the, I can't. It'll be if you've, if you've got Office 365. Just Office 365. It's just generally, yeah, exactly. yeah. In general, Office 365, they have the same coverage as global administrators. So SMS, you know, they can pick, you know, um, their, their, their factors. And then you have Azure AD premium P1 and P2. And how they're licensed in your organization can be in many different ways, right? Like how you can and what levels you have. Um, but P1 
is is going to give you um so things like um mfa reports um custom greetings for phone calls um it's going to give you mfa for on-prem applications as well and it's going to give you conditional access um base uh, conditional access um as well on, on top of that um and you can for all your users you can set you know um different second factors um and, and things like that um but then what p2 is going to give you if that's what you you know um if 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 that's what if that's what you've got um then you're also going to get risk based conditional access and identity protection um so effectively everything that we've talked talked about um, to get this more advanced um, MFA um, set up, you're going to need to be on P2. Um, but I think it's fair to say, Alan, that um, anything's better than nothing when it comes to MFA. And, you know, yep. a policy of everybody having MFA for every new session um, isn't necessarily a bad user experience either, is it? I wouldn't say. It's going to be pretty... It is going to be pretty noisy, but that's not really the end of the world, is it? In terms of, because because the way that I sort of see it is, MFA is so powerful, it's so important and effective that living with those restrictions is still going to be, you know, worth the trade off, right? Yeah, I think I think it'll just be, um, you know, a prompt in the morning, and maybe if they like I said, it's it's new sessions, so it depends how often that session sort of expires on the device. If someone's working all day, you know, their, you know, their desktop stays on, you know, they'll probably be at the, you know, they probably won't get many prompts. Maybe a laptop user might get a few more because of, you know, you know maybe because of the machine going to sleep or the sessions maybe expiring because they're changing networks, things like that. Um, that might be the only difference with it, but yeah, it's not, I don't think it'll be any worse than any other systems, SaaS systems out there that you may have MFA um yeah exactly yeah yeah well that's that's what um that default security default mode is going to be what um people expect from all different types of systems right that's what you see everywhere don't you right you yeah. know you don't have any you know um cached you know uh, se session tokens with your like your personal banking applications do you it's challenged every single time right so um so yeah so yeah that's a quick whistle stop tour of mfa alan Anything else you would like to add? Anything you think I've missed or keep me honest and correct me? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we've done done well in the time and we were 56. I know. It's... Well, some some time, aren't we? So 50 minutes or something like that. So Yeah, so if you if you made 56 minutes through 56 minutes of MFA, you know, kudos to you uh, for sure. I mean, it's exciting to us because it's, you know, it's a core part of our, you know, security strategy, right? So um, it's something that we... Uh, especially Alan, you know, um, um, you know, is is living and breathing every day. So yeah, it's it's easy for us to talk about some of the more um, important uh, parts of it. Um, okay, Alan. Uh, next episode, uh, what are we what are we planning on talking about? So next episode is going to be Azure Virtual Desktop. Amazing. And I probably put in a little bit around Windows three six five because it's very similar um uh, similar in different ways but in effect the technology is the same just how you manage it is different so i think it's worth putting a little bit in there i think we could talk about windows 365 probably 
this same amount of time. So yeah, let's hope we we don't go too mad <laughs> on it. But let's see. No, but, that's um, yeah, yeah. We've been yeah, we've been deploying it recently, haven't we? And um, and seeing all the the cool things you can do with it. So um, yeah, it's just worth showing. And just briefly, you know, Azure Virtual Desktop is a remote desktop session sort of or VDI solution that Microsoft have you know brought out the last couple of years. So we're we're run through that, I think. Yeah, and we've got some good knowledge of tuning it for, you know, saving a few pennies as well, haven't we? So I think it's um <laughs> don't tell Microsoft that part. Um but yeah, it it is it is possible to have it as a really cost effective VDI solution and um flexible VDI solution as well, right? So um yeah it's very powerful. Uh, it's a great, great bit kit. Um, so if you've enjoyed this episode, please do consider subscribing if you'd like to listen to more of this sort of content in the future. We have many more topics that we'd like to cover and your listens and support is what will continue to fuel the podcast going forward. We also have the ability for you to give us some feedback. Did you enjoy this episode? Is there any other questions you want to ask us? Um, feel free to send us some feedback. There'll be a link in the show notes um, that takes you to a form. And yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Alan, uh, for your time. And thanks to everybody for listening. I think our first episode, you know, getting back to it um, wasn't too bad. So, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you all in uh, the next one. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, take care. Speak soon. Bye.